Heavenly Father, we invite you here today to be with us. Teach us from your word. Thank you for all your blessings, uh, for being with us every day, and for giving us faith, and uh, for giving us guidance. Amen. 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 Um, one of the things I, I hope everybody's come away with from the study of the heroes uh, in Acts is... You see these guys sometimes glorified. I mean, they're larger than life. Uh, incredible. And you have to step back ever so often to realize, you know, uh, these are ordinary folks through whom God did extraordinary things. And so part of the picture is to notice their warts not because we we are like uh, Dr. Phil or you know any of that uh, pointing people's shortcomings, but the point is it's there in Scripture. Um, not for us to minimize or poke fun at them, but simply to realize, you know, God is doing amazing things through people who are less than amazing, uh, which includes. Us. Cardo, includes you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, last, uh, last Wednesday we saw Timothy, and uh, what you may or may not remember is here's a guy who is young, uh, who is timid, who apparently is, has health issues. Paul says to him, drink vino, more vino rather than than water for your stomach's sake because you're sickly and we don't know all the we don't have a doctor's report uh, uh, about Timothy but we know he he struggled okay and I know this may sound somewhat uh, bizarre but at least I take courage when I see the struggles of people like Timothy, people like Paul, people like Peter, because it simply reminds me that God uses pots of clay, which is what we are. Um, and yet, this is something Michael pointed out after the stu- or during the end of the study, uh, is Timothy is delegated to go into a very tough spot, uh, the city of Ephesus, if you recall, a city what you may enter, sir. Um, Ephesus was a place there was a lot of occult, a lot of occultic practices, uh, a great deal of um, uh, ignorant superstition, uh, a great deal of opposition to the gospel, a great deal of false teaching. And Paul sends... Uh, Young Timothy, I don't, we don't know exactly how old he was, his 30s at that point, uh, to write herd on these folks and root out false teaching and establish a leadership structure. Boy, I tell you, that is, that is a tall order in anyone's book. Uh, but all of that was part of what God was doing with Timothy. And when tonight we're going to look at Peter. Um, there's a lot about about Peter in Scripture. There, 
at least from my personal OCD counting, there's 71 references uh, to Peter um, in in uh, in the Book of Acts and in the in the Gospel accounts. Um, because Peter obviously plays a very, very significant role uh, among the early believers, early followers of Yeshua, Yeshua until Paul comes on the scene. Uh, so let's start with a little bit of a review of, of uh, who Peter is in terms of his earlier background. Um, Matthew chapter 4, and we'll kind of skip around here, so keep your fingers handy. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. It looks like the joy back there can read for us. <coughs> now as Yeshua was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Okay, now, how many times have you read that? And when was the last time you stopped and you thought to yourself, in their shoes? I probably would have had a number of arguments. Like, excuse me, you are who? And you want me to do what? I'm, I'm busy. I've got a business to run. You know, and yet, there's no, absolutely no record of Peter having a, a mosaic type of argument with Yeshua as as Moses had with God. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, I find that to be pretty pretty amazing. Uh, and, and yes, Peter certainly um, has his warts, and, and, and that's the, the, the neat thing about Scripture, is we don't get anybody airbrushed that where there are warts, they're presented, and you go, okay, that is a people's exhibit A wart. Um, so part of what we see, to give you an example, and, and we're skipping a little, we're going to skip a, a little bit here. Uh, Matthew 14, verses 28 to 30. While we're finding that, were they living in the constant uh, expectation, like was it always on their mind that Messiah could appear at any moment? No. Uh, you have to realize that, uh, number one, they were under the domination of Rome. Mm -hmm. And yes, there were um, heightened messianic expectations. And if you recall from Acts chapter 4, when uh, Gamaliel stands up and talks about the different messianic uh, types, false messiahs, and this was particularly true in, uh, in, in the pilgrim holidays such as Passover. Um, but they were certainly not living in expectation that Messiah will come tomorrow. Because remember that um, the, the designation of Messiah, two things about that. First of all, it was, it was a title that Yeshua never wanted. He never presents himself with, with that title. He doesn't say, I'm the Messiah. Uh, when, when you see self-identification about Yeshua, he always presents himself as the Son of Man. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, both the title of... I'll, I'll come to you, Ricardo. 
both the title of humility, but also based on Daniel, also gives us a sense of his divinity. Um, but again, remember, when they're thinking of a Messiah, they're thinking of someone who will come and would rally the troops. And that's not quite the idea like we have of Yeshua can appear today. <coughs> Sir? Yeah, that always bugged me. Every time, you know, Jesus, you know, Yeshua came by, he's like, you know, follow me. And then they just, people just thought what they were doing and just followed him. And uh, I speculated that, was he was he a rabbi at all? Like, dressed as a rabbi at that were time? Were you sure? Were actually being called to be a disciple <coughs> of a rabbi was something that you would drop everything and, and go follow that rabbi? Absolutely not. No? Um, Yeshua looked like an average, ordinary, uh, first century Jew. Okay. Which is why um, when, when Judas comes to betray Yeshua, he has to come up to him, give him a kiss, in order to identify him for the people who would come take him away. Because Yeshua was not one of these, whoa, there he is. Um, what made Yeshua outstanding was not certainly not his appearance. Um, not what he wore. Or, no. no, and so the notion of he was a rabbi and the big R was on his back and, and etc., <laughs> Um, people followed him because of of his words and the power, not so not of his not of his appearance. So how would a rabbi actually acquire disciples? He would basically Back do then. he would basically do what Yeshua did and say, "Come, follow me." Okay. Uh, but he would have to present himself as credible enough, and and the truth is, remember, folks that the Gospel accounts, like the rest of Scripture, um, don't give us a video of everything yeah. that is taking place. They're sort of like sketches. So, uh, it's quite likely that, that Peter had seen Yeshua or knew something about Him. Uh, you know, you're not talking about a huge distance. Uh, perhaps it was Yeshua's authority in, in how he spoke, we don't know for sure. But yes, he definitely saying to them, come follow me, in a sense of a rabbi saying to potential disciples, come follow me. Yeah, because it just seems kind of odd that they would just stop what they're doing and, and do it, you know, just as, you know, thinking as someone that doesn't know who this person is, but they're drawn by this person, and they stop what they're doing and stuff. And it's... From our perspective, it is odd. Yeah, yeah. it always intrigued me. That's why. It, but but you have to say that there is something super, there's something supernatural. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not denying that. I was just I was just wondering if uh, if if a rabbi how they actually you know find disciples. You know, so. And that's and that's basically part of the process. There is the interaction. However, more often than not, there was some some sort of a previous. Uh, uh, relationship. Okay. However, in Yeshua's case, um, and Peter's case, they're from Bethsaida, yeah. which is close, close to the Lake of Galilee. Yeshua came from Nazareth, which, which was up in the top, the hill, the hill country of Galilee. Yeah. So, 
how that happened, it's that's part of the mystery. I think for me, part of it is that if Peter saw something and made up his mind, boom, he did it. Yeah. Uh, one thing that jumps out at me is that you don't see Peter standing there cogitating, pulling on his beard, saying <laughs> to do or not to do, that is the question. Um, but Yeshua, was he already teaching kind of informally at that time? Because at some point, I think Peter and John, it talks about how Peter or one of the disciples ran to the other ones and said, we found the Messiah. Yeah. They must have heard him speak somewhere, somehow. Well, in earlier, uh, in Matthew chapters 3 and 4, uh, you see the beginning of Yeshua's earlier ministry. Uh, part of it, you see John, John the Immerser, John the Baptist, um, uh, sort of uh, preempting, or, or not preempting, but uh, uh, predicting the coming of, of uh of, the, of Yeshua coming the Messiah um, so in in uh, John in Matthew chapter 3 and 4 you have uh, Yeshua uh, going to the desert to be tempted coming out and, and etc um, but Yeshua begins to preach and, and uh, all you see here uh, the verse before that verse 17, from that time on, Yeshua began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you have some kind of an entryway. Okay? Um, again, we don't know all the connections. Um, and by, the, by the way, the language is very clear. It says at once. It's like they drop everything <coughs> and come. Um, so, oh, go ahead. I thought you lost your place. Uh, say Matthew 14. Thank you. Let's, let's turn to Matthew 14. And we'll just read a couple of verses there. And then jump to um, Matthew 17. And then come back to Matthew 16. So just kind of hang loose. Bob, would you read? Verses 14, 28 through 30? Yeah, please. Answering, Peter said to him, Master, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Yeshua. But seeing the wind, he became terrified. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Master, save me. Okay, now, again, how many times have you read that? And you, you think to yourself, I'm in a boat, and my rabbi tells me to get out and, and to come. And I'll go, excuse me. Uh, my mama didn't raise no fool. Uh, you want me to do what? Uh, and, and this is, by the way, just one example of Peter getting up and doing something. Uh, you'll find other places in the gospel accounts where he sees Yeshua and he tucks his clothes in and jumps in the water. Uh, standard, standard response for Peter. Um, Chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. And Connie, <coughs> would you read that for us, please? Sure. <clears throat> After six days, Yeshua takes with him Peter and Jacob and John his brother and brings them up a high mountain by <coughs> themselves. 
Now he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Yeshua. Peter responded to Yeshua, Master, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three sukkot here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, stop and, and read this, okay? Uh, it's clear that Peter knows who Moses is. He knows who Elijah is. And Yeshua, at this point, is not your standard uh, first century Jew-looking type person. He is transfigured. What does that mean? But but in what way? Illuminated. Illuminated. What does it mean to for him to be illuminated? Glowing. He's glowing. It's like radiating light. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Okay. I think we all get that. Now I don't know about you. I would stand there and I'll go. What's happening? You know, it's like, okay, we landed on my own. Peter, on the other hand, says, Lord, uh, let's get practical here. L let me go get some sticks and some wood, and let me build a sukkah for you and for Moses and, and for Elijah. I, I take it differently. I oh. just think he was babbling. He was so weirded out by the whole thing. He was just, whatever came out of his mouth was whatever popped into his head. An, an interesting theory, however, I think when, when you I think when you read the rest of who Peter is, you know that uh, his thoughts, you know, his feelings were on his sleeves. What he was thinking is like, boom. Uh, so I don't see him babbling. I see him saying, oh, let's see, Moses, these guys, uh, they need some place where they can hang out. Yeah, I'll go do that. You see... Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just weird, but I, I, anyways. Uh, Are you trying to say he was impetuous? Thank you, sir. <laughs> put, put good words in my mouth. Peter, Peter was definitely impetuous. He stayed uh, that way, though, throughout huh? his ministry, pretty much. Didn't he remain fairly impetuous and impulsive throughout? Because he argued a lot with Paul, right? Well, no, he didn't argue a lot with Paul. Uh, the relationship with Paul was kind of a what hopefully we'll get to towards the end here. Uh, Matthew 16 and verses 16 to uh, 22. And Judy, would you read that, please? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yeshua replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Uh, Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Oh, okay. 
From that time on, Yeshua began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Okay, now, again, look at this. Uh, first of all, the setting is Caesarea Philippi, which was uh, up in northern Israel, real close to where the Lebanese border, there's a, a place called Banyas, which is the headwaters of the Jordan. There was a temple to Zeus uh, right there. Um, and that's where Yeshua takes Peter and says, who do you think, who do you say that is the Son of Man? In other words, how do you view me? Now, what I find interesting is that this is flat in, in the midst of uh, pagan country. Yeshua chooses this moment to ask Peter, what do you have to say about who I am? At least for me, folks, this sounds like Yeshua is planting the flag of the kingdom right there where the pagan country is. Very, very definitely uh, decided, okay, let's all of us uh, take a moment to turn off the gizmos. Hi, Grandma. <laughs> all right. Um, it's it's very very strategic is what I'm trying to say. Um, Yeshua could have asked Peter in all kinds of places. At this particular place, he had he's, he chose that as as a statement of this is where the kingdom of God is, regardless of the temple of Zeus and all the other stuff. Uh, obviously, Peter is. Uh, gets discernment from the Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKodesh, about who Yeshua is. He's, he is not just my rabbi, the guy that I hang out with, but he, he is, the, he is the, the Son of God, capital S. Um, and Yeshua recognizes that that didn't come from Peter's fertile imagination. But then at some point, we don't know exactly when, but at some point, uh, a day or maybe two days later, uh, maybe that afternoon, Yeshua starts to talk to them about what's going to happen when he's betrayed in Jerusalem and so on and so forth. Peter goes from saying, you are the son of the living God, to saying, uh, excuse me, knock it off, Messiah. <laughs> I mean, do you get the, do you get the, the flavor here? Yeah. He, he grabs, he pulls him aside and says, stop it, this is nonsense. I mean, rebuke, folks, is a strong word. And uh, Yeshua's response is equally as uh, as strong. Get behind me, Satan. So one moment he is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The next moment uh, he is inspired by a different kind of spirit. Yes? Yes. Okay. Excuse me, what I'm saying is that Yeshua knew what he had to build up in Peter and take a, and rebuke Peter to know the challenges that, yes, he's facing, but the other men are facing too, the other disciples. So he's building Peter up to strengthen him because he knew that he would strengthen in equal parts the other disciples. 
Uh, well, and, and Yeshua specifically said after the denial, um, after you're strengthened, you were build up your, your brothers, etc. But, but no, at this point is, uh, again, these guys are walking for three years right, from them. place to place. Uh, and Yeshua is talking and teaching them. They're hearing all kinds of stuff. And remember, uh, we're not going to look at this, but remember that, that at some point, as Yeshua is about to be, to be crucified, what are the disciples concerned about? Themselves. themselves, their own lives. Yeah, but how who's going to have the best seat? Yeah, who's going to have oh, the yeah, yeah. who's the greatest? Yeshua is saying to them, guys, I'm I am I am going to be um, I'm going to be beaten and crucified, so on. And they're over here going, <laughs> and that, that was not the first time. So Peter definitely was part of it. So all I have to say is what what we're seeing is a guy. Um, who's very human to put it plain uh, Matthew 26 verses 33 to, th- to 35 and then, w- then we'll go into John um, John 18 so Matthew 26 33 to 35 sir Yeshua said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I must die with you, Peter says to him, I'll never deny you. And so said the disciples. Okay, I think there is one one more statement. I'm sorry. Um, 33. 33. 33. Peter replied to him, Though all fall away because of you, I'll never fall away. Okay. Now, never is a strong word. Uh, and Peter basically repeats that a couple of times. It's like, Lord, I'm true blue. Everybody else can 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 uh, fade out. I'm going to be there. I've, I've got your back. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, if you re- recall, uh, he whips out the sword and chops off the, the ear of, of, of the servant. Uh, the high priest servant. Um, so, uh, John eighteen sixteen to seventeen. We're we're familiar with that. Um, but just a few verses here. Uh, John eighteen fifteen to eighteen, and then twenty five to twenty seven. And Paul, would you read that if you have it, please, sir? Sure. John 15, 18. No, 1815. 1815. I'm sorry, you're right. Okay. 1815. Um, 15 to 18. 15 to 18. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I'm glad you're with us, brother. Sing and Kifa and another Tamed uh, followed Yeshua. The second Tamed was known to the Kohen Hagadol, and he went with Yeshua into the courtyard of the Kohen Yagadol. Akifa stood outside by the gate, so the other Talmud, the one known to the Kohen Hagadol, went back out and spoke to the woman on duty at the gate, then brought Kifa inside. The woman at the gate said to Kifa, Aren't you another of that man's Talmud? And he said, No, I am not. 
Now the slaves and guards had a little fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it, warming themselves. Kepha joined them and stood warming himself too. Okay. Uh, Kohena Gadol is? High priest. Uh, apparently one of the disciples uh, had some kind of a connection with with a high priest. It's, and, and of course that makes sense because of all the all the information, all the details that we find that describe the temple and so on. Um, 25 to 27. Same chapter 18. Yes, Michael, thank you. <laughs> Need someone to keep me honest. Ricardo, if you have it, sir. Yeah. Uh, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, Are you, you all also are not the one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man who he, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Um, you, you know, Peter is not is skating on thin ice. He's there where somebody knows uh, the fellow that he chopped off the ear. Uh, I would be a little nervous. I, I was looking for a statement where Peter is interacting with a young servant girl. Um, I probably missed it there, but my, my point is, uh, let's see if we can find it. Give me a minute, please. Um, 17. Okay, would you read that? The maid servant at the door yeah. says to Peter, aren't you one of this man's disciples too? He says, no, I'm not. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, you, you understand that the Galileans and the Judeans looked and talked a little differently. Right. Uh, part of the picture is uh, in Galilee there was a, a mixture. Uh, there was a fair amount of Greek villages and so on. Uh, and the, the people from Judea considered the Galileans to be hillbilly, hillbillies. Hickbillies? Hickbillies. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Um, so, yeah, she could tell by his dress, perhaps by his speech. And here you have a guy who said, I'm true blue, I've got your back. And this young servant girl says, you're one of them. He goes, no, I never saw the guy, I never met the guy. You know, uh, so much so much for bravado. Uh not worth a whole lot, frankly. And um, would so. Would it truly have been a risk that they would have been punished along with Yeshua? Is that what they were afraid of? Or they just didn't know? Uh, the, the, the one disciple who knew the high priest goes in there and apparently seems to be comfortable. Peter is nervous, obviously. Um, and I think part of it is the flip side from the bravado, which is self self-geared uh, to the cowardice which is also self-geared. None of that is empowered by, by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Spirit of God. Two sides of the same coin. Um, so, uh, let me find... Um, 
John 21. And we'll do a little, uh, couple of Greek words there, which I'm sure you, you may have heard before. John 21, verses 15 to 19. Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than me? He saith unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, Thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Then he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him, The third time lovest thou me. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. So you may have heard a teaching about this that emphasizes a couple of Greek words. Uh, Agape or agapao, which is the verb, and phileo. Um, Agape or agapeo is committed love. You know, that's where you look at your spouse and you say, uh, you're giving me a bad time today, but I love you. Uh, uh, phileo, phileo, on the other hand, is affectionate love. It's you know, like like you you see your kid when they're uh, asleep, they've been obnoxious all day, and then at night they look cherubic, and and, and you want to hug them and kiss them. Uh, that's phileo, uh, and and you have you have that appearing uh, in these verses. And so the explanation was, which I don't buy, obviously, is that uh, Yeshua says to, to him, do you love me with a committed love? And Peter says to him, I love you with an affectionate love. Mm-hmm. A couple of problems with that. First of all, um, John is not consistent. You know, if you're familiar with how he writes, he uses those words in, interchangeably. So you can't build a skyscraper on that. But really more to the point is where is the emphasis in these verses? Is it about different kinds of words? Well, it's that. Impart to him importance. How many times did Peter deny Yeshua? How many times does Yeshua ask him, do you love me? Again, remember, without building a a doctrine on numbers, numerology, three is one of those numbers. Three and seven are numbers of completion. You know, holy, 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 as holy as you can get. Uh, And so the the notion of uh, Yeshua asking him, do you love me? It's like, Peter, you denied me three times, which is a thorough denial, as denial as you can get. Uh, I'm going to ask you, do you love me? 
that just like you denied me three times, I'm going to ask you, do you love me three times? Joy. So I always have a little trouble with this passage just because it sort of breaks my heart every time I read it. Because I wonder, is Yeshua doing a little dig <laughs> at Peter? Like making him understand what he did to him by denying him? Or is he somehow imparting to him, look, even though you denied me, I forgive you? This, this is definitely not what I would call Jewish guilt. <laughs> you know, Yeshua is not trying to milk, to milk the, the guilt business because the emphasis is not, you, you, you rascal, but the emphasis is on what? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I have, I have job for you. I have work for you to do. Um, and, and if someone can find real quick, we won't turn to it, uh, Luke one of these uh, mystery, mysterious things uh, that spiritual warfare takes place not only here with us but somehow in the heavenlies. Uh, again, when we see the Lord we'll understand that. But Satan has access to come and, and do what we see in a number of places where he will come and say, you know, that rascal Chaim, he really is a skunk, uh, and he does, and he does that. And uh, Satan wants to have the ability to sift Peter, in other words, to to tear out his faith, um, as if to say he he is going to deny you. Therefore, he is good for nothing. Let me have him. What does Yeshua say? He is interceding. What does intercession mean? Praying, but in this case... Bring him back. Well, no. Intercession. When, when someone... The, there are two basic meanings for intercession. One is praying. But in the case of Yeshua... Is stepping in. It, it, it is being the mediator and basically saying, yeah, but... I have a job for him. I, I have a job for him. Furthermore, he belongs to me. Not letting him go. Correct. And, and Yeshua <coughs> says, uh, Satan has wanted to destroy your faith by not being interceded. So that means that even though Peter denied Yeshua three times, the essence, the core of his faith did not go away. And that, folks, is, is pretty amazing, isn't it? And all that he's built in him, in the teaching as he followed him, he was bringing it back to surface. It somehow, somehow it, it sustained. And uh, so, um, then, of course, we come to Shavuot, uh, Acts chapter 2. And here, here you have a guy who one moment is sh shaking in his boots 
in front of this uh, uh, servant girl. Um, and in Acts chapter 2, you have a total radical transformation. Now remember, it's still Peter. And yes, he's still impetuous. Uh, but God will take the impetuous part of who he is and use it because now Peter is serving as, as a spokesperson, as a leader for the community. Acts chapter 2, uh, let's pick up verses uh, 14, and we won't read the entire section. Um, Acts 2, 14. Then Kepha stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. <clears throat> Fellow Jews and all of you who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Do you want me to keep going? Uh, no, that's fine, Michael. Let's stop there, please. Um, and, and, and by the way, if, if you understand the way the language is laid out, Peter lifted up his voice and said, and, which is very typically Hebraic. You know, I mean, for us, you say Peter got up and talked. But Semitic, Semitic uh, way of communicating is, is to say he lifted up his voice and spoke. You see that a lot in the Gospels. Anyways, here you have uh, all these people who are looking at the, the disciples as if they were drunk. Um, and Peter is not, at this point, he's not quaking his boots. Rather, you have Peter getting up and, and saying, Guys, let me explain to you what's going on. Um, verse 16, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In other words, what you're seeing had been prophesied way back here. Um, <coughs> he was trying to explain to them, may I, to, what's happening to realize that you know the spirit of God is upon them to to be open to it. I would think. Yeah. And, and, and as we see um, at the end of this chapter, verse uh, 41, those who accepted his message and were immersed, there are about 3,000. Right. I mean, uh, I would say that's, that's a whale of a sermon. Actually, it, it wasn't really about this. I mean, the sermon is wonderful. Um, and, and he tells people to repent. However, this is a guy who about 40 days before, was absolutely scared out of, out of his mind. Right. Um, and, and really more to the point, I, I want to bring us to, to, the, um, to the time when Peter stands up um, in front of the Sanhedrin. Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 8 to 12. And Paul, you look like you have it, sir. 
correct me on my pronunciation if you would on this. Then Kipha filled with the Ruach HaKodesh said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being examined today about a good deed done for a disabled person, if you want to know how he was restored to health, then it will then let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that they that it is in the name of the Messiah, Yeshua from Nazareth, who you had executed on a stake as a criminal, but whom God had raised from the dead, that this man stands before you perfectly healed. Now think about that. Here he is standing in front of 71 of the biggest and greatest people in, in Israel at the time. And these guys, as we saw with Stephen, uh, if, if they could, they would figure out a way to, uh, to have him killed, have him stoned like Stephen, uh, charging him with blasphemy. And, and Peter here doesn't, doesn't use um, uh, ways to win friends and influence people. He says, you guys are the ones that killed, this, killed my Messiah. Uh, would, would you say my Messiah or our Messiah? Because he was trying to convict them. Yeah, obviously. Um, not just my Messiah, but yes. And, and furthermore, they, they say to him, um, let's see, where are we? Um, verse 18 of this chapter, 18 and 19, at 20. Connie, haven't picked on you tonight. Okay. Your spokesperson. 18 and 19? And, and 20, 20, yeah. Okay. So they called them in and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Yeshua. But Peter and John replied, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, I don't know about you, that's pretty gutsy. It's basically saying to, to the mucky mucks of, uh, of Israel at the time, uh, you guys can say whatever it is you want to say, but we're going to listen to God. Um, again, the, the cowardice... The, all of that is gone. Mm -hmm. Peter is filled with the Spirit. And by the way, as you go through the book of Acts, what you'll find <coughs> is that the fullness being filled with the Spirit is not about the manifestations. Being filled with the Spirit is always, 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 in one form or another, connected to proclaiming the Word of God powerfully, oh, effectively. Oh, Amen. And that has to be the case. You and I cannot communicate the good news of Yeshua in and of ourselves because then it's just a sales presentation. Right, right. Uh, and the world is full of that. Um, I was working with one of our kids who was being prepared for Bar Mitzvah and he was saying that they had so many sales people knock on their door they finally had to uh, put a sign and 
the world uh, it doesn't appreciate the sales presentation from us. Um, it has to be the Spirit of God that fills us and empowers us to communicate. And that's what that's what you see with this guy, this impetuous, uh, impetuous guy who is by no means perfect. Um, he speaks one time, three thousand people come into the kingdom. Another time, another couple of thousand. Uh, and as you read the rest of Acts, I mean, the kind of stuff that happens is amazing. You know, the shadow, Peter's shadow falls, and it says that Peter, uh, the people, put themselves. In, in a place where his shadow can fall in. By the way, Ananias and Sapphira. Mm -mm. Did you think of that as a miracle? <laughs> yes, it was a miracle. Not a very friendly miracle. <laughs> you know, here comes Ananias and, and he tells a lie. Uh, twisted, you know, the uh, truth that is somewhat twisted. And... The next thing you know, plop, uh, the wife comes and repeats the same lie and Peter says to, to her, to Sapphira, oh, by the way, uh, your, your, your husband just died and here are the guys who, who are burying him, they're going to do the same thing to you. Same thing happens, she falls dead. Now, that is a miracle, isn't it? Uh, not a real friendly miracle, but it is a miracle. Uh, and then you have other references where where uh, people get healed. This young, this gal named Dorcas or Tabitha, he comes in and he says, Tabitha Kumi, Aramaic, uh, Tabitha rise, and she gets up, and she was a corpse. I don't know how you can wrap your arms around it. I don't, so I don't bother. Um, then, of course, you have the the uh, what happened with Cornelius, and and we're gonna zip through that because I want to come to uh, the fact that Peter still has warts after all of this. Um, could you come to the house of a Gentile? In those days, why not? You'll be defiled. Now, how did that work? By the way, the Torah never said that. Uh, the only thing in the Torah was that you you were to stay away from their their gods and goddesses, have nothing to do with their with their practices. It says nothing at all about your your having personal relationship with them. doesn't say anything at all about don't come into the house. That was something that the rabbis expanded because they were so concerned about keeping the Torah, they put what is called a fence around the Torah. In other words, if here's the Torah, we're going to add several other layers, so you have to break through these before you actually break through the Torah. So the rabbi said, don't come into the house of a Gentile because they're ritually unclean. And when you come, guess what's going to happen to you? Huh? They're going to die. No, you become ritually defiled yourself, which means you cannot come and worship God in the temple. So, of course, we have the vision where the sheet is lowered 
and Peter hears this voice that says, You have been dying to eat ham and cheese sandwich on Passover. <laughs> now here's your chance. Get up and eat. And so from that point on, Yeshua's disciples ate all the pork that they ever wanted to. Right? <laughs> have you ever heard people kind of describe it that way? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of got it wrong. Huh? Kind of got it wrong, too. It's, it's absolutely silly because... Scripture interprets itself. And in Acts t uh, 10 and 11, it doesn't say from that point on, they went on their merry way enjoying pork. Yeah. From that point on, you have the relationship between Gentiles and Jews. And, and that's when, what the Lord says to him, don't consider anything, i.e. any people, unclean. For the sake of the good news of Yeshua, uh, even if you feel allergic around somebody, you still make the connection. Uh, Peter, because he was different, was God's man for that particular job. Um, but, a couple of verses about the warts. Um, Galatians chapter 2 Verse 11. Uh, Can you read it? Please. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. And you can go on down, um, down to verse uh, uh, 15, yeah. Verse what? 15, all the way down to 15, please. For before that certain king from James, he did eat with Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. <coughs> and the other Jews assembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with the dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not abruptly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, before them all, if thou being a Jew liveth after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now you, you can imagine the, the drama here. I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall when that happened. Uh, you can understand what's going on here. Uh, Peter had no problem going to lunch with his Gentile brothers in, in, uh, in Antioch. And then you have these guys who are super duper uh, observant and by the way that does not mean that James the head of the congregation in Jerusalem sent them on this mission to come and, and, and make trouble they were connected they were part of the congregation in Jerusalem and they took it upon themselves to make sure 
that that Peter was true blue, and they they pressed him. And here is one of those words. Uh, Peter, of all people who who ate with Cornelius, should have had the gumption to say to to them, "Leave me alone." And furthermore, you are wrong. And he doesn't do that. He says, uh, Paul says, from that point on, he wanted, he did not want to socialize with the Gentile believers in Antioch. Now, what was the problem with? I mean, lots of problems. What was a major problem there? There's no love. There's there's division. There's division. There's no witness to them if you don't associate with well, them. Well, but at this point, they're believers. However... But he's, he's setting an example. He's setting a terrible example. And furthermore, uh, that was decided already that Gentile believers are to be accepted. It's like treating the Gentiles like second class. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We're Jews, you're Gentiles. We're up here, you're down here. Well, I mean, it, it seems as though he's, it's like his reputation, you know, he doesn't, he, he's more worried about what the other Jews will think about him. Yeah, and, and if you, if you read it and look it over, you see that uh, Paul doesn't pull his punches here. And, and this is out in public, mm-hmm. and Peter is the, the big guy. And Paul's attitude is he has to be corrected. That's what I was referring to when I said I, that I think Peter stayed impetuous throughout his ministry and he argued with Paul. He was, he was impetuous. However, the good story is, uh, we'll find at the very end, Second uh, Peter chapter 1. There's a happy ending, believe it or not. <laughs> Second Peter chapter one verse twelve. Let me read it. Please. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's it's right as long as I am in this body to stir stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Jesus Christ made clear to me and I will make every effort so you so that after my departure you may be able at, at any time to recall these things thank you for reading that that was actually the very very last one I apologize uh, come to chapter 3 2 Peter chapter 3 Okay, that's the twelve on that one. Uh, chapter Second uh, Peter three verses fifteen and sixteen. Fifteen and sixteen. Okay. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which 
the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with other scriptures? Want me to keep reading all the way up to the end? Uh, no. Okay. So, what is Peter saying about Paul here? In this, this is towards the end of his life. He's a dearly beloved brother. Huh? He's a dearly loved brother. Dearly beloved brother. Even though he, he, um, me uh, in public, made me look like a complete idiot. Uh, we don't know how many years. Maybe a couple of decades, uh, twenty years or so from what happened in Antioch to where Peter is writing now, we're not quite sure, uh, maybe 10 years, definitely. But what else is he saying about, about Paul here? That people are twisting his words. He's, well, he's telling the truth. He's explaining things well. That people are twisting what he's saying. People are twisting what Paul is saying. Cause confusion. And what kind of level is he putting Paul's writings? Higher level, just higher understanding, hard to, hard to understand. He compares it to other scriptures. Ah, he refers to Paul's writings as scripture. What does that suggest, folks? Inspired by the Ruach Hakodesh, it's the word of God coming through, coming through Paul. Well, boy, I tell you, that's. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Yes. Um, this is the first example that we have that what you have in Scripture is not just the the the, the, uh, the Torah and the writings of the prophets, and obviously the life of Yeshua, but but also the letters of Paul. It's considered Scripture. Did Paul know that? Probably not. Um, Peter and Paul were martyred right around the same time, so we don't really know for sure. Definitely uh, a Proverbs. Huh? <laughs> he got rebuked and he became wiser after that, <laughs> for sure. Well, and, and, and that's the point. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe that Paul says, you know, I'm writing to you scripture. I mean, there are times he said, what I'm writing to you is the word of God. And other times he actually said, uh, this is what I believe is, is the correct thing, my opinion. So Paul didn't have <coughs> such an exalted opinion of himself, but Peter does. So, so here you have uh, kind of a story of a guy who is impetuous and is difficult and uh, talks a big talk and, and, and in the clutch he kind of weasels out and then God raises him up and he does amazing things and then he still has his moments. Uh, and at least for me, this is such a wonderful story. Um, not that we're ready to go out and do all the things necessarily that, that Peter did, but it is such a wonderful example. God takes pots of clay and fills us with His Spirit so that we can do the job He's carried us, to, called us to do. Um, Michael, would you please finish with a word of prayer? Father, we thank You for these, um, in a sense, these snapshots in the album of Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that uh, 
They show ex us examples of courage. They show us examples of failure. They show us um, what it looks like to be an illustration of godly men and women of God. And so we pray, Lord, that you would take these examples and help us to glean what we can and help them to be deep in our hearts so that we can learn and that we, too, can be empowered to become uh, part of the menagerie, part of the story that you are building here now and that one day will be for many to encourage their faith. We ask, Lord, that you watch over us and keep us safe and that you bring us back safely on Shabbat. Thank you for this time, and may you receive much honor and glory. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen.